thank you very much for your warm welcome and it's good to be with you again here at Margam Road for the Bible League meeting and I would like on behalf of the Bible League trustees to thank the friends here for their kind hospitality in allowing us to come and hold the meeting in your premises. We've always appreciated this year by year, the good uh, food and drink afterwards as well, but best of all, uh, to be able to share the word of God and seek to strengthen one another in God and enjoy fellowship amongst like-minded <coughs> friends. As Mr. Pfeiffer said earlier, if this had been a generation or two ago, we'd have to be in the church there to accommodate everyone, might even have some of the gallery occupied as well. And we would love to welcome all such to join us. Trouble is, they don't want to come because they have apparently found uh, another way and another version of the things which are most surely believed among us. We don't mean another religion or even another gospel although we have to say it's getting a little bit almost like that really as things are developing and degenerating more and more but certainly modern things the dumbing down of the faith and the right ways of the Lord not being adhered to in these times other things, other ways which they believe are what's necessary today. And history is repeating itself, dear friends, because that's exactly what the generation in Spurgeon's day said. In the 1870s and 1880s, the great cry was that we've got to modify the faith. We've got to uh, knock off the rough edges and make it more palatable for the present generation which is more scientifically enlightened now, more intellectually uh, acute. And if we're going to reach such people, it's no good preaching the old Bible, the old oh, gospel, yes. the old faith. Got to make concessions. And of course we know what liberalism did to that old faith and in surrendering certain aspects in order to appeal to the present generation they sold the past completely and look at now the wreckage that that has brought in its wake the empty churches the redundant buildings the fewness of the Lord's people the comparative weakness of Christianity in the nation itself that's where things started to decline not saying there weren't times of declension before then but certainly the downgrade in Spurgeon's day was really a watershed period which has led to all that is very bad today and our generation instead of learning the lessons of history are repeating those dreadful errors and uh, really incipient apostasy for that's where it will all lead any departure from biblical truth and biblical practice has its ultimate terminus 
in complete unbelief and total departure from God. I'm not stressing it too much, putting it too strongly, or being alarmist. But the fact is, once you move, you don't just stay where you've moved to. You move again. And you move again. And you move again. And if the Lord tarry, we shall see modern contemporary churches and dumbed down, dressed down ministers ending up I do not know where, quite frankly. It's, an, uh, it's a solemn and an awful thing. And the only thing to do is to stay where our fathers stood and keep to the word of God its truths and its practices, its principles, its values and not move one inch. And only then are you, are you safe. And it's really in principle what we read in Colossians chapter 1, isn't it? Where in verse 22 of that chapter we're told that we are presented in Christ holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which, un which is under heaven whereof I Paul am made a minister so it's a vital thing, dear friends, not to change, not to modify, not to give ground at all. Once it starts, who knows where it ends. We're safe while ever we're standing upon the rock and we're anchored to Holy Scripture in everything. And it's interesting that in verse 28 of Colossians 1 we're told that Paul preached Christ warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus and it's reminding us that there must be this warning note in any faithful gospel ministry where is the warning note today? it's so missing isn't it what we're hearing is how good things are and how the Lord is blessing and what new things are happening and how encouraging things are and there seems little warning as to the genuineness or otherwise of these things and of the danger of moving and giving ground being liberals perhaps not so much in theology but liberals in practice which is just as bad because it's equally a move away from Holy Scripture. Now in the Bible League we seek to warn and we're not counted popular for that but there is this essential element isn't there? Because it's part of preaching and teaching as Paul says here and in order to make men wise and in order to present them perfected complete in Christ Jesus and it means that without this note of warning it's an inadequate ministry and something vital is missing and so there's got to be a negative note and there's got to be this alarm call sometimes there's got to be this sounding this note of great caution as to how things are and where things will lead 
if we do not come back to the word of God so I commend that to you and we are thankful that in the Bible League which began really in the days of liberalism in Spurgeon's day to warn and to call people back to the old paths where the good way is and we're doing the same thing today just the same in principle and really probably this will be needed until our Lord returns won't it? We're thankful for every faithful church and faithful minister every faithful brother and sister and we cherish your fellowship with us and your support of us this evening and we know there are many more in the country who share our convictions and distinctives they would be here if they could but it's a matter of distance isn't it but they're with us in heart and in their prayers and we do have other meetings throughout the country in different locations I go right up to Glasgow and there's a good meeting there uh, hosted by a Reformed Baptist Church and supported quite well generally in that part of Scotland and uh, we go to the South East and we go to the Midlands and other parts as well and this is an encouraging development I think in the work of the Bible League it's what used to happen in the beginning big rallies in great venues in London crowds of people coming to carry on the fight that Spurgeon was the great standard bearer of and when he was taken the Bible League was raised up to carry on the ministry so we're thankful that in our comparatively small way and yet we believe not unblessed way we carry on in this ministry and we seek the Lord's gracious blessing and we're very grateful for Pastor Neil Pfeiffer being on the Bible League Trust I can go back to the 1980s myself when I uh, was privileged to uh, join the trustees there in Mr. S.M. Horton's day when he edited the quarterly and uh, I have been editing the Bible League quarterly since 1993 January 1993 I think I think you came on in the 1990s Oh, it's 2000, right. Okay, well, we're very, very grateful for Pastor Pfeiffer's contribution as well as every other member of the trustees. It's a great privilege to be part of a ministry that keeps as it ever was and we pray will be more and more owned and blessed of God. Now, I have a reading from the book of Judges and chapter 8 from verse... 22 Judges chapter 8 and verse 22 Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon Rule thou over us both thou and thy son and thy son's son also for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian and Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that ye would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. 
And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof, and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness forty years mm. in the days of Midian, uh, in the days of Gideon. Mm -hmm. <coughs> this passage forms the sequel to the life of Gideon, one of the judges mm. of Israel. The period of the judges, as you know, followed Joshua mm. and came before the kings of Israel. These judges were spirit-anointed leaders raised up by God to govern the people. They were a combination of magistrates and military rulers. And they delivered Israel from the hostile neighbours who oppressed them. Gideon is best known for his military role and the man who defeated and subdued the Midianites. And he brought peace, as we've read, for 40 years. He is a man of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 32, assures us that that is the case. And everything about Gideon tells us that he was a believing man. However, Toward the end of his life, he did something which overshadowed the good that he had done before. And in verse 27, what he did was a snare unto Gideon and to his house. And earlier in the verse, it caused the people of Israel to go a whoring after it in a religious sense they became unfaithful to God and they worshipped idols and it is so sad isn't it that Gideon's life closes with this record we would have loved to have seen the close on a high and to have seen him depart from the scene like that verse in Proverbs 4, the path of the just is a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. But not more and more and less and less unto the perfect day. And here is another warning, dear friends, because this that happened to Gideon is something that can easily happen to any one of us. As individual Christians, as office bearers, as ministers, as churches, as organisations, 
the end is not the same as the beginning or the earlier days and it is something of a great tragedy to go to seed spiritually and go out not in glory but with a, a whimper and a shadow and a ghost of what we once were there is a serious warning here and I would like to look at this and see how it applies to ourselves and to our day now what was Gideon's failure what can we learn from it well it has to do with verse 27 this ephod now an ephod as you know was part of the priest's sacred vestments it was like a poncho the hole for the head and it went over the body front and back and there was a plain version but the sacred priestly version uh, was gold embroidered costly jewels and so on and it was a very sumptuous and beautiful thing full of typical significance concerning Christ mm. our great high priest now Gideon had one of these made using the gold and jewellery and things that the people contributed from the prey following the victory over the Midianites maybe he had it made as a, a trophy of that great victory maybe set up as a memorial to God ever to remember the glorious deliverance the Lord wrought mm. by Gideon but the tragedy is it became a snare and it led to departure from the Lord and a turning aside to the worship of idols a good thing can result in a bad end we question even if it was a good thing maybe his motive was good but the thing that he did seeking to honour the Lord perhaps remind the people but as we'll see because it could not be biblically san sanctioned because it couldn't be justified it ended in something terrible for himself and the whole church of God let's see the first thing about this it was a new thing which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house I say new because it was not like Gideon to do this was it I mean you think about his earlier life think about what he was you go back to Judges chapter 6 and verse 11 our first sight of him is not very promising but then when the Lord begins with any of us it's not very promising but that's not the point it's what God does that is promising and there he is frightened hiding his wheat from the cruel marauders the Midianites hoping he won't be discovered as he's threshing it and it just shows what God can do because it all started with this frightened man hiding from the enemy and then verse 12 and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him the Lord is with thee thou mighty man of valour that couldn't be less true could it in literal terms he was a trembling coward hiding away thou mighty man of valour 
But you see, the Lord sees the end result mm. of what he's going to do with us. And that's a great encouragement. We can't see it, and others probably can't, but he knows what he's going to make of us, who knows the end from the beginning. And so he calls Gideon what he's going to make him. And speaks to him in those terms. And the Lord knows what he's doing with you and what he's doing with me. He sees it all before it's actually accomplished. And so don't be too discouraged when you bemoan your sin and your failure and all the things that you think are wrong. It's to keep you humble. But remember, the work is God's. And he is working in us and upon us. And then look at verse 14. Go in this thy might. And at the end of the verse, Have not I sent thee? If we know that God is with us, if we are in the Lord's way, if the Lord has sent us into our situation, wherever it is, come to the kingdom for such a time as this, it's got to be good, isn't it? Because God is with us. And even in our terrible days in which we live, we are alive here, not in days of revival, not even in the best days of Victorian times, but now. But this is where God has appointed us to live and serve him. And to the kingdom for such a time as this. And he says, go in this thy might, the fact that I have sent thee. And that's a strengthening thing to know we're here and we're alive and that we're placed here to live and serve him in our generation. The, the, the compromise that came at the end is, is not like how it was with Gideon. And then of course we know, don't we, in chapter 7, we know the story so well how that Gideon's army was reduced to mere 300 people less glory to, should go to them when God gives the deliverance and the encouragement over the fleece and the encouragement over the dream that the Midianite soldier told his friend and then the division into the three companies and then the trumpets the clay jars and the torches hidden until the last minute and then the blast of the trumpet breaking the pictures and the torches flaring and the Midianites terrified thinking they're surrounded by a great army at night and they start killing each other in their panic and then they all flee and it's a complete rout of 135,000 men and two kings only 15,000 escaped on camels and the two kings are captured and killed that's a tremendous achievement and in addition, chapter 8, how that the people of Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, get angry with uh, Gideon. The opening verse is there. Why, haven't, why weren't we called to the battle? Why weren't we included in the rout of the, Gideon, the Midianites? And this is the last thing you want, isn't it? When you've just spent yourself in the service of God and the nation. And th th this portion of the people turn on you and criticise you. How many ministers have known that, haven't they? Spending and be spent. And just at the most sensitive time you get criticism. You get attacked verbally by people. And so what does Gideon do? Does he round on them? And... No, no. 
He says, chapter 8, verse 2, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? In other words, you, God, uh, delivered into your hand the two princes, Oreb and Zeb. And compared with that, what have I done? And you see that wonderful soft answer that turneth away wrath. And their anger was abated toward him when he said that. Now Gideon was a wise man. God taught him wisdom in handling people who were very critical and attacked him and very ungrateful. And that's a sign of grace, isn't it? When you've got wisdom to be self-controlled and say things that calm people down and win them round. In fact, any minister who doesn't know how to do that will not be a minister for very long, will he? But you see, God gives grace like that. He really does. We're not like it by nature. But it's a sign of God's grace. And may God ever help us to do that. And then, this, what we read in chapter 8, verses 22-23, the people of Israel are so thrilled with Gideon, they wanted to be their king. And not only that, but the beginning of a new dynasty. Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son. What a temptation to be made king, and your sons, and a, a hereditary monarchy. What a reward. My, what privilege could be his. Tremendous, this unknown man, young man from an unknown family in Israel frightened of the enemy hiding his wheat away from them and now all is open to him what a tremendous thing and what does he say ah verse 23 I will not rule over you neither shall my son rule over you the Lord shall rule over you that's spirituality that's godliness zeal for the glory of God not me but him that's the, that's the thing isn't it that's what God honours. That's what God blesses so greatly. And all this, you see, and you would think, wouldn't you, that he would go on and his closing part of his life would be characterised by all this kind of thing. And yet, dear friends, the sad thing is that something new happened. And there was this great unexpected and disappointing failure and it reminds us of how much we need the grace of God to continue as we have been and not to do anything even one thing that can be the near destroying of everything that we have accomplished and been known for so it was a new thing and we need to pray, oh God, may there be no new things. No new things. But only the old things. The biblical things. The things that have always been. Because you know, any Christian who does change, God's people are terribly dismayed. Especially when a minister changes, who has known the respect of many, and now, look at the Bible version they're using. Now, look at the worship that's going on in their church. Look how they've changed. They don't even know where, where a tie in the pulpit anymore now. It's all done down and dressing down. 
And it dismays God's people and it, it shakes those who need a better example. No new thing. But let it be that what we've always been known for will be like it to the very end. And then we serve our generation. A new thing. But secondly, dear friends, a sad thing. Which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house? Now this is the sadness. You can live long enough to undo the good that you've done in your earlier years. And humanly speaking, when we see this happening, we could almost wish God had taken some men home to heaven earlier than he did. Because the closing years and it has an effect upon everything else that they've ever achieved. And we don't want that, do we? The best should be the last. Not in the earlier times. And things declined so terribly. Now, it was sad for Gideon. He knew about the snare of idolatry, didn't he? He knew that this very thing, going a-whoring after other gods and idols brought down Israel under the Midianites in the first place. God used the Midianites to chasten Israel for the very thing. But you see, he could see the sin in others that he could not see in himself. And let us be very careful because we've got to warn, we've got to point out things, but let us be careful that in seeing it in others, we don't overlook the tendency and the danger in ourselves. Mm. We need to be humble mm. and examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I remember when I was a young Christian teenager in my local church and there was this youth leader who was very popular very able and I remember that I and a number of other young people we were saying to him about the Roman Catholics and about the dead Anglicans and all this kind of thing in our zeal and ecumenism and so on and he said look, he said when you're young you tend to be very critical it's typical of youth to criticise just be careful hmm. but the thing is I wish he had been more critical because when the charismatic thing began to rumble in our home church and I had occasion to talk to him about it and almost plead with him to do something about it he wouldn't take action and not only that but he ended up going off with a young married woman and it destroyed the young people's work split the church sometimes dear friends you've got to be critical but you've got to be critical of yourself as well because it's a sad thing when you don't see things or won't see things and refuse to see things whether doctrinal or matters of practice or conduct morality or whatever you've got to have your eyes opened Gideon couldn't seem to see it 
for himself, could he? The danger of this action that would lead to a snare for him and his family and a snare for the whole nation. He knew about it, but he didn't keep on his guard. Now, it was a weakness in the face of temptation, wasn't it? Look at verse 24. After refusing to be made king, he said, I would desire a request of you, though, and uh, if you are agreeable, could you give me a proportion of all your prey? And so it was all willingly and gratefully given, and it made a heap, a tremendous heap, 50 pounds weight of gold. What a temptation to now possess all this. And you see, it was a weakness that Satan could exploit. Instead of just possessing it, or doing good with it, he made this thing, which became the snare. Very, very careful. Weakness in the face of temptation. The devil knows your weakness and my weakness, you know. The devil knows the weakness of every minister. The devil knows the weak place in every Christian organization. And it only needs one little concession. No to the obvious. But although we would like to, to the subtle. Who knows where it will end up? You've got to be so careful, haven't you? Oh, this Bible League, it's such a stickler, isn't it? Mm. Such a stickler for things. Oh, you've got to be a stickler. Because you've got to guard every front and every place and every potential area of entry for the devil, haven't you? That's why we've um, tightened up our uh, articles of belief, added to them to cover things that apply especially to our day not because we're legalists or fussy, but because we are concerned that we keep to our founding principles and that de the devil does not have an occasion against us. Now another thing that was sad here was that this happened when things were a lot easier. You see, the servitude to the Midianites now had turned to freedom. The heat and the danger of battle turned to victory and peace. And from Gideon being a trembling little farmer's boy, threshing his wheat for fear of the Midianite, he's national hero! And things have never been better or easier. But it was just at that time that he sadly changed. Because, dear friends, we are most in danger when things are peaceful and when things are easier with us. And the scriptures are full of examples, aren't they? Noah, for instance, after all the time when he built the ark and preached righteousness and suffered for it with his family, when it's all over, the flood has abated, everything's returned to normal, he resumed his growing of grapes and he ended up a drunkard. It couldn't have happened when in the heat of serving the Lord and when he was the butt of persecution as he most surely was. David 
when he was relaxing in Jerusalem and he let Joab and the army go and deal with the Ammonites lying on his bed in the warm evening and he got up for a stroll and Satan was waiting through eye gate for the man to fall it's when things are easy easier at any rate Solomon in his later life when the kingdom was really established and wealthy and lifted up to the pinnacle of greatness and glory he loved foreign wives and worshipped their gods and departed from the Lord we may say to ourselves sometimes oh I wish things were easier than they are these days I just wish the whole of evangelicalism had the consensus it seemed to have in the 1950s well if things were easier like that and more ideal who knows how many of us might fall fall prey to the devil perhaps it is dear friends that having to be so careful and having to watch over ourselves and strive and seek by God's grace to be faithful in these days maybe it's keeping us keeping us from far worse because if easier times do come and the devil seizes opportunity if God does not give us grace we are in the greatest danger and that's why you see it's in later life isn't it that's especially the danger like with Gideon (coughs) I guess really that when a man or a woman and especially a minister and his wife when we get past middle life and the children are grown up and left and we're just two again at home say and we've got our pensions now and uh, a bit more money and life is not so expensive and we're not so constrained financially and things are not so tough and we don't have to depend upon the Lord for every provision and life is easier but you see the danger is that there can come a complacency and oh how we need to watch it's in later life dear friends and it's then oh it's then what about (coughs) retired ministers are you as dismayed as I am over retired ministers well known names whom we looked up to years ago when they were flourishing in their ministries and we, are thank, we thank God for them still they were inspirations to us we benefited from their ministry and their books and so on and they held the line in their day didn't they and they retire and the churches they settle in is astonishing and we're amazed they don't come to Cardiff Tabernacle they don't come to Sheffield Reformed Church they certainly wouldn't come to Hollywell Evangelical Church not that, we, not that we're jealous for our own places but you know, you, you, you see the point they don't identify with us now which is sad evidence that they've changed and the places they're now content to settle in shows how much they have changed because quite frankly those places I wouldn't want to go through the door of some of them I wouldn't be seen entering the place and yet they settle in them what's happened to them later life you see 
easier time. Is it a spiritual backsliding? Losing their spiritual bearings? Losing their conviction? God keep us from ever doing that. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if in years to come people would say, do you remember Pastor Neil Pfeiffer? You remember, he was a member of the Bible he trust? And he pastor of that faithful sound reformed church there in Swansea? Do you know where he and his wife are going now? Amazing! What's happened? It's a danger for us all. Something must happen, mustn't it? Something profound. I don't know what it is. I can't understand it. Maybe they say, well, I'm out preaching every, every week anyway, so I don't have to be there. That's not the point. It's where you're known to go and where you're known to belong. It's the reputation you once had that now you've let go and you're giving a bad example to thousands and thousands of believers. A sad, sad thing. One of our Bible League publications uh, was a booklet and one of the articles was entitled Why Good Men Change. It's no longer in existence as a booklet but it is on the Bible League website and you can, you can access it there. So if you have the internet go to the Bible League website and look at this article Why Good Men Change. I wrote it uh, back in 2001 I think but let me give you a little extract, uh, a couple of, cu couple of paragraphs. The danger increases as we get older. Maturity can settle into complacency. Mellowness of age can become mellowness of outlook. In the place of sharp, clear views, woolly thinking and a slack hold of truth can come. A spiritual dotage sets in before we know it. Lot ended his days shamefully. Gideon's later life was foolish and self-indulgent. When Solomon was old, his heart turned away from the Lord. A whole generation of Israel left the old paths where the good way is. An old prophet lied and caused the death of a faithful prophet. The Galatians, Demas, Timothy, sorry, Demas, Archippus and Christians at Ephesus remind us that finishing our course better than we began is no easy thing. Andrew Bonar once said, It is a remark of old and experienced men that very few men and very few ministers keep up to the end the edge that was on their spirit at the first solemn reminder isn't it of the danger who of us in the ministry does not shudder as we read those words if we are spared will the time of our retirement from the pastorate find us as zealous and uncompromising as when we began our ministry oh dear friends what we do affects others his house the nation of Israel all because of this sad thing. Let me conclude with the third point. It was a new thing, a sad thing. It was a good thing. How good? Well, not in itself. But I say it, you see, because which thing 
became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. The people of Israel went a whoring. But in spite of all that, you go to Hebrews 11 and verse 32, and you find him numbered among the heroes of faith, and this is not mentioned against him. The only thing that is mentioned is he is an example of faith for us to follow. What does that tell us? It tells us about the grace of God, doesn't it? That we believe that there must have been repentance, restoration, forgiving grace, restoring grace. And he goes out of the world and the record left upon the pages of scripture in after time is his faith and I say that's a good thing and it's a great comfort to us because no matter how much we may have failed God can restore no matter how much we may have let things down God can recover no matter how much we may not have served our generation as we ought God is so merciful to us and can forgive us restore our souls lead us in the paths of righteousness again and clear up the mess that we may have left behind and people maybe in God's mercy will remember us for that which, is, for that which was the best and not that which was the worst and so God worked all things together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. It was a good thing, overruled for good. And you see the fact that we can learn from it is good, isn't it? Left on the pages of scripture, the heroes in the Bible were told all about them and nothing is kept back or sanitized in any way so that all their life and ministry can be all the profit it was intended to be for us and so in the end God meant it for good and we trust, we trust that the Lord will mean it for good for us as well May the Lord bless his word and give us grace to heed the warnings and grace to ever walk in the good. May the Lord bless his word for the glory of his name. Amen.